on this episode of Trumpet Dynamics. He came under fire. This guy literally had his entire livelihood taken away from him. If we feel like saying something is going to upset someone, which in turn is going to lead to us being deplatformed and losing our livelihood and our means of providing for our families, maybe we're not doing things right. Get your head out of the stand, my friends. This is real life. Your fellow musicians, your fellow artists are being silenced. They're being marginalized for having opinions that don't fit into that proverbial 3 by 5 card of allowable opinion. Welcome to Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet and the words of those who play it. My name is James Newcomb, and I am your host for this podcast. And I want to talk about something that is of concern to me personally, and I know that it's of concern to artists everywhere. And we're talking about what happens when you get, when you find yourself on the receiving end of the wrath of the mob. You say something that doesn't fit into that proverbial three by five card of allowable opinion. People on the internet, they let you know in no uncertain terms, you are on their shit list. And I've had this happen to me personally. Something that I said that was of zero consequence, well, it rubbed someone the wrong way and word got out. I, I was just branded as someone that I'm really not, but that's the nature of the mob of, of, of people when they get into that mentality. I heard about this fellow named Daniel Elder, and maybe you've heard of him too. He is uh, based in Nashville, Tennessee. He's a composer. He's not a trumpeter, but he's a composer of mostly sacred music, choral music. He came under fire. And when I say under fire, this guy literally had his entire livelihood taken away from him because of something that he said on Instagram. Now, to set the stage, this is uh, July of 2020. The, all the George Floyd, the riots were taking place in the United States, and racism was the hot topic of the day. When you weren't talking about COVID, racism was the big issue. The, there were riots literally happening just down the road from where he lived. The, the courthouse in Nashville, Tennessee was being burned down. And so Daniel put a post on Instagram j- shortly before taking down his, um, his account, shutting down his Twitter account, Instagram, Facebook, etc. Basically, he said, enjoy burning it all down, you well-intentioned blind people. I'm done. And that was the post. Essentially, he said, burning down a courthouse isn't the best way to get your point across. There are better ways of making your case that racism is a problem in America. Because he criticized people who were literally destroying his hometown, he he came under fire. People said things like, I've recently become aware of your work and have enjoyed your compositions. However, after learning of your insensitive comments on social media, I've decided to unsubscribe from your channel, YouTube, and will no longer recommend your compositions to colleagues. Another says, it's really a shame, such beautiful music, and I feel like I can't do any of it, any, any, uh, do any of it now. Another says, I'm a choir director and department head for the music department for a private school in Ohio. I want to inform you that your rhetoric surrounding the recent protests is unacceptable, and my school will not be programming your music unless and until a public apology is issued. So the rhetoric surrounding the recent protests basically says, 
burning down a courthouse isn't the, isn't the best way to, to go about it. That is what got him in hot water. Uh, Daniel's publisher, GIA Publications, literally wrote for him a, a public apology. They didn't say, Daniel, listen, you've, you've caused a stir on social media, and we would appreciate it if you would clarify your remarks. We would appreciate it if you would uh, say something that gives more substance to what you said. No, they, they wrote this apology for him and demanded that he, uh, that he post this on Instagram or Twitter or wherever. And let me just read this entire poly, uh, apology that was written for him. Over the weekend, I made a post on my social media accounts that was insensitive and wrongly worded. I deeply apologize for the anger, offense, and harm that this post caused. While this offense was not intended, it is what was created. For this, I am truly sorry. There is no justification that I can offer for my post. So rather than try to offer an excuse for what was done, I offer a promise for what I will do going forward. I commit to making amends and to dialogue. I commit to continue educating myself about privilege and bias. I commit to continue seeking an understanding of the experience of others, especially the black community. I know that working for justice requires that we each first act justly. My work begins now. So his publisher is saying, everything that you've done until now counts for nothing. Your work begins now, Mr. Elder. Now, how would you feel if you said something on Instagram and you were just speaking your mind and the person and the, the organization that publishes your music from which you gain a, a large amount of your livelihood, they demand that you do this or else they will, they will cut ties with you. How would you respond? Well, Daniel Elder didn't post that public apology that was written by someone else and was probably the farthest thing from what his real sentiments were. And so GIA Publications cut ties with him. Um, they, they don't sell his music anymore. And basically, Daniel Elder has been blacklisted from the artistic community for one post that says that it is 11 words. It didn't say any, anyone was wrong. All, it, all he said was that you guys are misguided. You guys, aren't, you guys are shooting yourselves in the foot with this. And for that, he got deplatformed. Now, you might be listening to this and you're thinking, James, come on, man, this is a trumpet podcast. Forget all that political stuff. Forget all of this political activism. Just focus on trumpet. Just focus on people's stories, how they got started, how they got through the uh, anonymity and became successful. Just, for, just leave all this stuff for other people, political commentators and whatnot. I, I understand that. I wish that I could just talk about trumpet, trumpet stories and stories of successful musicians. But when I hear stories like this, it really hits home. I think that artists everywhere are terrified. One misstep on social media, one wrong word, and their careers are literally ended. And that's tragic because art should be the one medium of expression that can confront this type of groupthink. That's what, that's what art does. Art is supposed to be nonconformist. 
So the fact that artists are cowering in fear, afraid for their lives of saying one thing that's going to upset one person, which in turn is going to turn into a viral post, and then all of a sudden their, you know, their, their lives are destroyed. I think that that is completely wrong. If that's your attitude that I should just talk about trumpet and pedagogy and technique and lip slurs, I say get your head out of the stand, my friends. This is real life. Your fellow musicians, your fellow artists are, are being silenced. They're being marginalized for having opinions that don't fit into that proverbial three-by-five card of allowable opinion. So art is that one, that one medium that is the best antidote to this groupthink. This is why dictators throughout history have always feared artists, because the artists are the ones that can expose the fallacies, the lies of those totalitarian regimes. That's why they go for the artists first. Well, when I heard the story of Daniel Elder, I, I, felt, I felt indignant inside, and I wanted to reach out to him. And I feel like if I have any kind of a public platform, then I feel like it's my duty to use this platform to give people like Daniel Elder a voice and let him tell his side of the story. So even if one or two people hear of Daniel Elder and, and, and what he went through and, and feel maybe a little bit encouraged to fight the good fight, so to speak, when they come under fire for saying something that, uh, that is perceived as insensitive by the mob on social media, then, then I've done some good. So I actually asked if I could interview him for the podcast and just get his, his take, his side of the story and his experiences. And he said, well, I would rather not do spoken interviews just because I would like the time that it takes to write down my thoughts. And I think that that makes a lot of sense after what he's been through. You, you want to be very, very careful with your words. But he was happy to respond to my questions that I sent via email. And what I'm about to read for you is this written interview that I did with Daniel Elder that I've already posted on my blog at jamesnewcomontrumpet.com, but here it is on the podcast. So we all know that social media is powerful. It's kind of fun if it's used properly. But as we have seen in countless instances over the last couple of years, the end result seems to lead to a climate of fear and just fear of saying something that's going to be deemed insensitive, you just feel like your entire livelihood is at risk. So I've been very selective with how I spend my time on social media. I, about a year ago, I took about five hours and so-called unfriended, like 2,000 people that I had never met, that I was sort of quasi-connected with on Facebook, and I've been, I've been using social media very sparingly, and I've also realized that I don't need social media to build my business. I don't, I, don't even, I don't need it. And if you can generate a bit of notoriety using social media, then more power to you. But it's definitely not essential. Now, speaking of social media, and I'm just going to mention this very briefly, I'm experimenting with a new platform called Social Layer. It is a social media platform that was uh, created by entrepreneurs, and the purpose of it is for entrepreneurs, online entrepreneurs, to build their businesses. And 
I'm accepting invitations to check it out. It's called Social Layer. And if you want to check it out, send me an email, james at jamesnewcomontrumpet.com, and I'll in turn send you an invite. Uh, so that's just a very brief mention to uh, check out Social Layer if you're looking for a, a different type of social media experience. This is the interview, and I'm just going to read my questions, and then I will read Daniel Elder's responses. And I'll just I'll be sure to uh, mention what, what is my question in his response. Here we go. Here is my first question. Can you give an account of what happened from your perspective, specifically about the Instagram post and the ensuing backlash? Were you at all known for being outspoken on issues such as race, current affairs, etc.? Daniel's response. As a creative artist, I've learned how to be especially sensitive to the human mind. It is crucial if I am to effectively communicate my messages through music. I had become increasingly disenchanted with social media over the past several years as I witnessed groupthink overtake the public discourse. Not just groupthink, but highly controlling, judgmental, and bullying behavior. Those engaging the most in this behavior hypocritically shouted the loudest about tolerance. These behaviors deeply disturbed me. However, I had tried my best not to be public in my condemnation of toxicity online. I wasn't outspoken on political or social issues. I was fairly conservative in risking my public image. When I did criticize, I usually took great care to be subtle. The hysteria that washed over my social sphere and the larger populace following the George Floyd incident was a breaking point for me. For the first time, I saw a frightening mob mentality of reckless, desperate abandon played out especially in the violent acts of rioters all across the country. That buildings were burning in my own city was but an extra acute reminder that it was all very real. In my music, I have written warnings on mob mentality. I watched my Instagram feed flood with posts and stories suggesting racists lay in wait around every corner. I saw this hysteria as a fatal step too far in the gradual advancement of illiberalism, especially toxic to my artistic field. I chose to make my post not in a moment of weakness, but as an important message to my brothers and sisters. You are losing yourselves. And he said that in all caps. You are losing yourselves. I crafted it carefully. I tried to be generous but firm. I strove to convey insight. I wanted to help. I had conveyed to my wife that I was recklessly tempted to go downtown and uh, to try and put myself between the rioters and the police to risk my safety to de-escalate the situation. She was my voice of reason. I restlessly stayed put. My risky post was important enough to me that I didn't mind if I got pushback for my words. I didn't expect to go viral, however. That was a symptom of the very hysteria I observed, that at the time real activists lay in wait to slay any racist demons they perceived. As it turns out, I stepped right into their trap. I didn't apologize because I deeply felt I had nothing to apologize for. Coerced public apologies, unfortunately, do very little to assuage the online mob. Additionally, I felt it vital not to empower this mob further by validating their accusations. However, I did explain myself in a three-page document I sent to my colleagues at GIA Publications and a couple of close friends. With my consent, one of these friends leaked it to a Coral Facebook group for public exposure. I clearly outlined what I intended with my words as well as what I didn't intend, 
additionally including a warning about the dangers of cancel culture and mob mentality. It had no effect. The next day, GIA, having read my explanation, nevertheless issued their public condemnation. After that single attempt to reason with the public, I chose not to parley further. I have no regrets about not apologizing. I felt it was not only the right thing to do, but was a vital thing to do. Now here's my next question. Good on you for seeing the futility of issuing an apology that is clearly not yours nor sincere. That no doubt would have made you appear weak in the mind of the mob, and more important, would have compromised your own artistic integrity. I was especially troubled by the reaction of GIA publications. It seems fear ruled the day. Perhaps they felt their own business and reputation was in danger because of the backlash you were receiving. It's very difficult to think rationally when your nervous system is on high alert like that. What is your take on their reaction, motives, etc.? Were you at all surprised when they more or less coerced you into doing this? What do you think they thought they had to gain by taking this action? And here is Daniel's response to that question. Exactly. Fear did rule the day. I believe GIA felt tremendous pressure because the online mob, in entirely predictable fashion, was starting to call for boycotts of my employers. GIA rushed their statement through very quickly. It was the same behavior a couple of other colleagues demonstrated, an eagerness to wash their hands of guilt by association as quickly as possible. In this period of time in our country, everyone was terrified of bloodthirsty activists. GIA's intentions were not malicious, but I wish they had chosen patience over panic. Our relationship was a lucrative one. Now here's my next question. You make it sound as though the attack on you was organized to some degree. Do you have any insights on the level of coordination that was required to carry this out? And what would anyone stand to gain by taking down a composer of sacred music who until that moment had no history of social activism and kept his social profile on the down low? Daniel's response. All this new activism is organized. Call-out culture, quote-unquote, thrives on the strategy of individuals publicly amassing others to target someone. Quote, hold them accountable. The coordination is not complex. It merely takes the right Facebook post or tweet to be widely shared, perhaps with my email address or website contact page and a call to action. From my perspective, outside social media, the attacks always came in concentrated volleys, and so I've always assumed they tend to arise from small pockets of social media activity, like a single particular post. As to your second point, that's the particularly twisted way activism has morphed in the present. When George Floyd died, mind you, there was never any proof of racial motive. Many people immediately took as fact that Officer Chauvin is racist, and quote, racism is everywhere. Therefore, quote, racists must be everywhere. And finally, quote, we must find who the racists are, unquote. Overnight, innocent people became suspect of hidden racism. With this logic, it doesn't take someone actually having a track record of any misdeeds. It just takes them satisfying one wrong present criterion. Here is my next question. It's easy to get caught up in the emotions of something like this. Fancy oneself as a white knight of sort and play the role of peacemaker. But the reality that many don't understand is that when a mob gets worked up into a frenzy, it's almost impossible to reason with them. What advice do you have for those who feel a need to be a voice of reason on or off social media, but to do so in a way that encourages honest dialogue, 
And what should one do should they find themselves in a predicament similar to what you endured? Daniel's response to that question. First, I agree it's ineffective to combat an online mob. One is best off remaining consistent and calm and to not engage in fighting the criticism. I chose to combat the mob merely by remaining silent and leaving social media was a major aid in this. My lack of apology was the only statement needed. I feel that's often the most effective strategy. Second, my advice to any inspired to be a voice of reason is this. Stay respectful, be patient, but don't compromise. Obviously, I don't speak of having a curious and open mind. I refer to those beliefs that are foundational to ourselves. Those are the ideas being threatened by the mob, and they mustn't be surrendered. If anyone should find themselves in a similar predicament to mine, all I can offer is the simple but ardent promise that taking the harder path is worth it in the end. And finally, here is my last question and his Daniel's response. What avenues of sharing your music, making a living, etc., have you discovered since all this went down a year ago? And here's Daniel's response. The only avenue I've discovered and pursued in this time is the blog page that I've started on my website. It isn't making me money, and it is not adding to my music catalog. However, it has served as a vital way for me to communicate certain deep messages I otherwise cannot, considering this past year's lack of performance opportunities probably due to the pandemic, I think he's referring to. I've used my blog to share poetry, opine on the critical issues of our field, and speak of my deepest visions for my art. I landed in particularly hot water with my essay, essay advocating equality of opportunity, but I regret not a word. It is my humble attempt to nurture the health of the arts, even and especially when unpopular. You could say this blog has become my temporary artistic outlet while music has not been possible. Well, I, for one, hope that Daniel Elder getting back to music occurs sooner than later, because if you'd go to his website, danieleldermusic.com, and check out some of the samples that he has, you'll see that he is a very thoughtful, very uh, very high degree of empathy that he shows in his music. Whether or not you agree with what he's done or what he has said, whether or not you agree with anything that I've said. I hope you take away from this episode that art is a gift, something that was given to us by God. I truly believe that. It was given to us by our Creator to be that voice against this this mob mentality, this soft totalitarianism that some people have called it, that Daniel Elder experienced. If we allow ourselves as artists to be silenced, because we live in fear of saying something wrong on Instagram, I don't know what else to say other than why are we doing it? Are we on Instagram just to share little clips of us playing some concerto or some hot at a concert? Is that the only reason that we do things? Were we given the gift that we were given just so we can show off our chops on social media? Or is there a higher purpose? And if we feel marginalized, if we feel uh, like saying something is going to upset someone, which in turn is going to lead to us being deplatformed and losing our livelihood and our means of uh, of providing for our families, well, maybe we're not doing things right. Maybe there's another way to do it. So I've already given you a couple of options, such as the social layer. And again, if you want to check it out, email me 
is the best way to get on onto it. James at jamesnewcomontrumpet.com. And I'll send you an invite to the social layer. It's in beta mode right now. So it's not like in full force, but I am, I, I, there are a couple of people that are in the layer and I'm just experimenting with it, just trying it out, taking my time with it. But if you want to check it out, please send me an email and I'll hook you up. So I know that this podcast was a little bit off the beaten path, as they say, but uh, I feel that it was important because it's, um, we're artists, and if, we, if we're not able to share our art and able to do so in a meaningful way that makes an impact in this world, then we're just kind of spinning our wheels. And uh, so I hope that this was helpful for you. We're getting back to music and less weighty topics in the future, but uh, every now and then you have to cover something that, that, is, that is weighty and meaty and a little bit sobering. I'll just leave it at that. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back in your earballs in just a few days. Trumpet Dynamics tells the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. It also tells my own story. Join me on this journey through the world of making music and making life at jamesnewcomontrumpet.com. I have blogs, videos, event calendar, and much more. And of course, if you just want to access this great podcast, just remember the URL, trumpetdynamics.com and you're off to the races. Looking forward to the next time. Be well.